Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Well, you mentioned LeBron and that ridiculous performance in the in-season tournament semifinals. The other side of that game, let's take a trip back to December 8th from the New Orleans Times-Picayune. They write, during the first stoppage in play of Thursday's loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, Zion Williamson plopped on the New Orleans Pelicans bench and struggled to breathe, looking as though he had just completed a half marathon. Williamson, who had just jogged back on defense to try to contest the Torian Prince three-pointer, appeared winded even though the game was not even five minutes old. The 23-year-old's poor conditioning was painfully apparent on the specially designed red and blue court for the NBA's new in-season tournament in Las Vegas. Earlier in the week, Williamson had compared the court to a stage. He was right. It was a stage, and on it, he got exposed. And then further down, Williams' poor work ethic has been a source of frustration for the Pelicans since they drafted him number one in 2019. The Pelicans have tried to surround Williamson with veterans who have track records of maximizing their potential. The team signed J.J. Redick in 2019. In 2022, they traded for C.J. McCollum. None of it has made an impact. The Pelicans have repeatedly stressed to Williamson that his diet and conditioning need to improve. Williamson, multiple team sources have told the Times-Picayune, doesn't listen. Since then, Ben, two roads diverged in the woods. The Lakers are three and nine. The Pelicans, however, are nine and three. They have the sixth best offensive rating in the NBA, the second best defensive rating in the NBA, and the second best net rating in the NBA over the last month or so. And I don't know what to make of it. I don't want to make too much of it because we've been down this road before with the Pelicans, but I just think it's pretty remarkable that after hitting rock bottom on national TV and having the entire NBA watching as that happened and then having the entire NBA media basically pronounce Zion's career DOA and say, all right, well... Here it is. The Pelicans have struck out again trying to get through to Zion Williamson and and the mediocrity is going to continue in New Orleans. They have come out and just been kicking everyone's ass for the last month or so. Ingram, 22 a game, 53% from the field. Zion, 22 a game, 61% from the field. CJ McCollum is playing great, 20 a game. Um, And per The Athletic, those three played more minutes together in the month of December than they had since C.J. McCollum arrived in New Orleans in 2022, so a season and a half ago. That's just a mind-boggling stat. This team never, ever stays healthy. Um, But I wonder, as I lay that out for you, what comes to mind with this Pelicans team? So Zion took the dinner with fewer calories and that made all the difference. Was that it a, could little fo- be. a frost that I heard a little bit there? Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, no, here's the thing. I was on the Pelicans before that uh, showcase game that he described. And I do think, you know, one tricky part with the in-season tournament and something that we've fallen into this trap with Christmas is it's very easy to overrate or overreact to that one game when you're looking at an 82-game sample size where all it takes is your opponent to get super up for it, you're not quite ready for it, whatever the other factors could be. 
I think a lot of people didn't watch the Pelicans. They only watched that one game. They had their hopes up for Zion, and they were like, wow, this guy sucks. I hate him. And I I didn't think it was fair at the time. He wasn't the only player who played bad in that game. Mm -hmm. Ingram had an atrocious game. And, you know, Zion is a frustrating player. We obviously want him to play better than he looked in that uh, particular moment and even better than he's looked, frankly, for this entire year. There's definitely untapped potential there. But it's not just about Zion. That's a misunderstanding of who the Pelicans are. They're the number seven defense in the NBA right now. They're above average on offense. And this is really a defense first identity team. It's not a superstar playmaker, Zion's the man type of team. And it's not even like this potent attack. Oh, we have this three-headed monster of Ingram and Zion and McCollum, and we're going to score 140 on you every night. That's not really how they play. Like they're, they're just more of a defensive team, balanced scoring. Um, they're at their best when their role players who are kind of shaky shooters are hitting shots. And all of a sudden it feels like they're kind of pouring in points from everywhere. Right. And I, I just think that, um, they completely laid down on the big stage and it does not surprise me at all that they were able to like lick their wounds and get back on track because they were playing really good basketball, in my opinion, even before they got there. I'm not going to say great basketball, but it was playoff caliber basketball uh, before they got to Las Vegas. So they got a lot of talent, a lot of length, a lot of depth. I mean, a lot of the things that you would want. They're well coached. They're pretty cohesive in terms of their main guys having played together for a couple of years. Zion is the big X factor, obviously. I think there's two sides to the Zion problem. One is that Zion is not where everybody wants him to be. But two, people have not calibrated their expectations for Zion. The casuals haven't um, enough. Like, he is not who we wanted him to be. He is not going to be the face of the NBA, number one pick, 30 points per game, you know, dominating everything every single night, winning multiple titles guy. That's not who he is. So, if you bring your expectations down for Zion, if you view the Pelicans through a little bit of a different lens, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with who this team is. You know, they're good. Yeah, well, and the defense is surprising because you look at the personnel and it's like Zion and CJ McCollum are atrocious defensive players. Brandon Ingram, not horrible, but not a good defensive player. He's been competing harder over the last month or so. But you, with those guys as the headliners, you're like, all right, so best case scenario they grade out like middle of the pack but then you add jose alvarado herb jones Jonas is not horrible defensively they finally have larry nance back now and they're just very switchable and they kind of fly around and i watched them against the wolves on wednesday night and they were just better from start to finish like they outplayed that team comprehensively and the wolves didn't roll over like they were fighting back but they just didn't have enough they didn't have enough ways to score offensively and then the pelicans they do have a number of different weapons that they can throw at you where it's a different story than than the lakers where you look at the lakers in the half court and you're like wow none of these guys actually scare me the pelicans between zion ingram and cj mccollum when they're moving the ball it's really difficult to guard that team um and so It's just interesting to me because I personally wrote the Pelicans off in early October when I saw highlights of Zion Williamson on defense and was just like, well, here we are again, year four or five or whatever this is. He still looks out of shape and just like four steps too slow. This isn't going to work. Then they lose by 44 points to the Lakers in that in-season tournament semifinal. And it's like, all right, I don't know how much clearer it needs to get. This is just not working down there. Somebody needs to change the scenery. And then this week, it's like the entire NBA media is focused on 
the Thunder and how amazing they look, and I look forward to talking about them in depth soon. But in the shadow of Shea and Chet, the Pelicans are quietly putting the pieces together. So I just wanted to to raise awareness there in the wake of that Wolves win. Um, the chemistry between Zion and Ingram has never looked better. And the reality is we just haven't seen these guys play very much together. So um, I'm intrigued by what's possible. And the other note I have is that we've been here before. Almost exactly a year ago, the Pelicans were 23-12 and 12 on December 30th, and they looked like one of the best teams in the NBA then, and they didn't seem to have any weak links in the rotation, very switchable. They then went 3-15 and 15 through the month of January, and Zion and Ingram both struggled to stay healthy the rest of the season. Obviously, they lost in the playing round to the Thunder. So this can still go very wrong. I am proceeding with extreme caution. But I am just very interested to see how they handle the next couple of weeks because the schedule is going to get tougher for them in January. They've got the Clippers at home. They're at the Kings, at the Warriors, at the Nuggets. Their next 10 games, like eight of the next 10, are against good teams. And I think as a community, all of us GOATs should pay attention to what's happening down there and see how they handle it because maybe the story will be different this year. Who can say? Well, it sounds to me like you need to circle one of those games to make it a league pass book club. I think I I like where you're thinking, Andrew. Now, I I like this comparison with the Thunder because the Thunder, from a fit and philosophy standpoint in terms of trying to be a modern team, they're dead on, right? Mm -hmm. Like the spacing is absolutely incredible. They have that superstar ceiling player in Shea. They have a perfectly modern backline big man in Chet who should be getting some all-star consideration. They've got a bunch of auxiliary scoring options. Almost any five they put on the court fits together seamlessly, makes perfect sense. The Pelicans don't have that. And the weird part, I think, and maybe this is a shorter way of trying to explain what I was saying earlier, Zion has become a floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser. And he was supposed to be the ultimate ceiling player. But when he's out there, he gives Good you point. enough pop yeah. in the offense that you're able to like beat most teams, right? But he is not good enough on a two-way standpoint, and he's not like a top five offensive player, not like a Shea, where he's really going to be carrying you deep. So while I like the Pelicans, um, you know, and I think that they get underrated and overlooked like you're describing. I don't like them as a contender type of team or a team that's going to make a deep playoff run. I, I just don't really see that. And a lot of that will fall on Zion. So his critics, I think, you know, ultimately could be proven right when we get to April and May, right? Assuming that they make it that far. But um, those are problems for a different day. I love this idea of setting up, uh, you know, the, the Pelicans stretch here as a team to watch. Do you have a game for me that we should circle? Wow, um, a lot of pressure here. So I'm looking at the the schedule uh, on Friday night. They're home versus the Clippers. Um, I will say, how about next Friday at the Nuggets? Because I would love to do a Ooh. Nuggets League Pass Book Club game. Um, yeah, at Denver, January 12th. We'll remind people next week. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the issue right now is you look at the West. The West is really good this year, even with the Lakers taking a step back and the Warriors taking a step back. The top of that conference, because I saw how successful the Pelicans have been over the last month, and I was like, man, they must be in like second or third place at this point. But 
it's bunched together at the top, but you got the Wolves, the Thunder, the Nuggets, the Clippers who have been kicking ass themselves for the last six weeks, and then the Kings and Pelicans. That's your top six. Um, the Mavericks are a game back of the Pelicans and Kings in, fit, in fifth and sixth. Like, it's going to be kind of a bloodbath sorting through that group at the top. Maybe the Suns will wake up somewhere along the way. Maybe we'll eventually see Beal, Durant, and Booker on the, on the floor at the same time together. Um, so I, I, too, am not going to get over my skis and get too high on what's possible for the Pelicans. I think it's a great point on Zion and CJ McCollum. Like, I don't trust those guys to have a, another level to hit against playoff defenses when people really start scheming against them. Um but at the same time, I'm just enjoying the kind of redemption after the entire league buried them a month ago, and particularly Zion. It it got like pretty personal with him, and then um, he's come back and and been excellent since since that whole sort of nationwide Zion conversation. Right. So that's cool. But I, I do think it's worth a, another comparison point, contrast point with Zion is like, look at the Grizzlies without Jaw, and then once Jaw comes back, it's just like night and day, right? It's like, wow, this team is actually functional again. Jaw is like, you know, basically an offense by himself. Everything makes sense when Jaw's on the court. Everybody else falls into the right uh, positions. I know they've lost a couple games here recently, but it was like, snap your fingers, boom, they're back on track. And it's just not the same deal with Zion. And I think that it needs to be a correction. I do think people went too hard on him. I agree about that. But I also think it just needs to be a correction on on who he is and, and how he is perceived as a player. You mentioned the strength of the Western Conference uh, relative to the Eastern Conference. Oh, boy. I hope you are ready when one of the Lakers, the Suns, or the Warriors doesn't even make the play-in. And mm. we've got the Nets, the Hawks, maybe even the Bulls <laughs> or the Raptors making the play-in uh, in that uh, Eastern Conference. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a great year to maybe just mix it up and not just take eight from the East and eight from the West and maybe just go by who the best teams are and you know what's, what's best for the league and from a, a rating standpoint. I mean, right. if you're having a contract year with your television the partners. The financial saying, future of the sport is at stake here. and The East could sink everybody. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, you're going to leave Steph Curry home so that we can all watch Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Mm. That's the plan. And uh, Trey Young. <laughs> oh, that's the plan. Fantastic work. Maybe D'Angelo Russell get traded to the Bulls and they'll make a run and we can really get excited about that in the play-in tournament. I mean, give me a freaking break. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to defend the East right now because outside of that top four, outside Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and Miami, there are a lot of fake good teams out there. You know, the Pacers, the Magic, the Cavs, the Knicks, the Nets. Like, we're we're almost going back to the mid-2000s Eastern Conference every right year. now. No, a it's lot every of year pretenders. for the last 25 years. <laughs> I really, um, I'm not even going to die on that hill this season. But the West is just awesome on a nightly basis. And we will have a more extended Thunder conversation at some point. I, I don't want to do it because every other podcast is currently talking about the Thunder. I do watch them, though, and I'm just gobsmacked by how well the roster fits together. It's like no team in the league has three stars that fit that well together at the top of the roster. And then you look at all the perfect role players they have, and you're just like, holy crap. Like, 
number one, I, again, don't think they necessarily need to make a deal. Number two, alongside all the disjointed rosters we see on other contenders across the league, because the salary cap makes it so impossible to like maintain contenders year over year in, in the current environment, the Thunder just feel like such a perfect basketball team. And I, I love everyone's role and the way it all fits together. And so it, it, just a very enjoyable night-to-night watch. Granted, they lost on the back-to-back uh, against Atlanta on Wednesday night, but um, they were killers against Boston on Tuesday night. And I'm excited to see how far they take all of it. It sounds to me like maybe your apology to Sam Preston needs to be as loud as the disrespect mm. was. I mean, I remember years and years and years of you nitpicking this guy, and now you're saying he built a perfect basketball team? Holy moly, listen to this. You know, not only do I need to apologize to Sam Presti, Chet Holmgren, I wasn't a full-on hater. <laughs> I was definitely a quiet skeptic, skeptic. though. Yeah, no, not a quiet you were skeptic. all in on impossible Chet. I was like, I don't trust this guy to stay healthy and blah, blah, blah. You look at the Thunder. The story is Chet. We knew Shea Gilgis Alexander. I said over the summer, I think this guy could be like the fifth best player in the league. Everybody knew he was a superstar. Chet, nobody saw this coming for him and and how great he would be offensively what a weapon he would be offensively how consistently good he would be defensively as well like his arrival this season absolutely changes the ceiling for the thunder and um, has been to me one of the two or three biggest stories in the entire league uh and look you were heavy on Wemby you were heavy on Zion I'm not sure those bets worked out as well as you were hoping, but I think you've got to take a bow on the Chet stuff and really sort of reallocate your resources and energy moving forward. Impossible Chet. The hype has never been more real, more alive than it is right now. So I, I think you need to go all in. Oh, I've been all in. I love Chet. You know, it's so interesting because he lost the whole year but it does feel like he somehow gained two years of development. Like he feels like a second year player this season, even though he didn't have a rookie year, right? Like yeah. he, he's taken such strides compared to where he was in college. I don't know how he did that. I'm not sure I've ever seen someone lose an entire year on an injury where there's nothing you can really do besides like once you're back, I guess you can form shoot in the gym. But like if you break your foot, what are you doing? Like what's that <laughs> you know workout routine like? You know, he clearly wasn't he was bench pressing. Around. Right? Yeah, he had he had the yeah, little I mean, like Kevin Durant scooter for half the year. Yeah, so that's tough. And and so to see him kind of, you know, have so many different areas of his game are way better than they were at Gonzaga or even compared to Summer League. You know, I think people have really highlighted his ball handling ability as improving. Yeah. There's been some videos going around about that. His shooting numbers are way better. I knew or I suspected strongly he was going to translate better to the NBA game compared to college because even though Gonzaga had this amazing offense and a lot of good players, you know, they still had like a traditional big in Timmy playing down low who was the main option, who was like kind of in Chet's way. And I respected Chet for going to Gonzaga and being part of a winning team rather than trying to go someplace where he could showcase because you could have easily built your entire college team around Chet, you know, based on his talent. And it might not have gone as well as Gonzaga's run did, um, but it would have made him look better. And he chose not to do that. So 
I expected that he was going to take a jump when he got to the NBA because, you know, he's so versatile, he's so long, all these kinds of things. But um, I didn't think it was going to be this quick in his rookie year, especially after he lost that entire season. And coming out of um, Summer League, there were some amazing highlights, but there were some big questions. And at USA Basketball, his performances got panned. You know, mm. people were really low on him in terms of how he looked against that feeble World Cup team, which was, uh, you know, a little bit disappointing as well. But talking to some people in OKC, they said basically as soon as he showed up for training camp, he was just destroying everyone in every practice. And it was just like they knew. That's like, awesome. You know, they, didn't want to, they didn't want to hype it up. They didn't want to like go overboard because he's coming back from the injury. But they were feeling like in September and October that they were like sitting on this nuclear weapon that nobody realized. And so even though they were downplaying everything last summer, I think that they started to get their hopes up a little bit uh, You know, once they were coming into this season. And it's funny because apparently they have this motto about what they believe a great team is. And it has to do with like a certain threshold on net rating. I think that the the mantra that's like kind of guided, like, are we going to go for it? When are we going to make trades and whatever? And it's like, you're only a really good team if you're a, a contender, if you have a plus six next net rating or better. Mm-hmm. And in past seasons, even though they were like overperforming and getting everybody excited and should they go and try to make trades, they were always like well below that mark. So that was sort of like the benchmark of like, hey, here's why we're going to ease up, right? Like, here's why we're not going to, try to get ahead of ourselves and right now they're sitting third in the league with a plus eight net rating which by their own supposed standard would mean go all the way in for it because like we're this title contender but I'll bet almost any amount of money they don't do that you know like they're going to just continue to be patient and trust their guys and so it's funny you know in a sense Chet has turned them into this team they I don't think they even believe they would have been last year and that's been uh, you know the kind of impact that they've had. But he still has to hold up for the 82-game season. You don't want to run around and do the victory laps too early. Yeah, let's knock he, on wood he has here great, as we record. Absolutely. Right. But he has great body control. Um, he looks much more fluid in, in most of his movements than he did even at Gonzaga. It feels like he's growing into his body a little bit, which is a weird thing to say. But it just, you know, he's moving more like KD than mm-hmm. a guy who's trying to be like KD, which is kind of what we hope for as well. So uh, I have been so just gratified watching him play because it feels like of all these young stars we've talked about, especially young American stars, like the hangup is they're not reaching their full potential because of some stupid reason, right? It's like, yeah. Oh, Ja, what are you doing? Oh, Zion, what are you doing? Even Anthony Edwards has had a couple of off court controversies recently. It's like, bro, like, come on, man. Like you got to just be better than this dude. And Chet, none of that. He just puts on the tech fleece that basically go to his ankles because they don't even make the tech <laughs> fleece pants long enough for him. He's just a pure hooper. Uh, he seems like he's, you know, pretty active on social media, talking with other players, just like all about that baller life. And he brings it every night. The consistency factor is there. The impact factor is there. He's a great teammate. He pumps his guys up. He's hit some big shots this season. It's been awesome. And he's the rookie of the year. Yeah, you know, the other thing with the Thunder, we talk about watching the Lakers in the half court and just not seeing that many weapons. You look at the Thunder in the half court, and it's like every single guy can beat you, uh, particularly down the stretch against that Celtics team where the Celtics are fighting back, making it a game, and nearly stealing it at the end, but just watching Boston try to match up, and Jalen Williams was fantastic in that fourth quarter, but like everybody can score and and score in multiple ways off the dribble. It, it's just like 
a nightmare to guard. And I, I, that's one of the reasons I think they've got a really high playoff ceiling because you slow the game down and there's just a lot of skill up and down that roster and, and particularly among that starting group. The other thing I love about Chet is he's kind of an asshole and it's just like really more combative than I would have guessed for a guy who's playing his first full NBA season. And he's like going right at guys. And um, that's really entertaining to watch. And then the final thing on the Thunder, while we're apologizing, I also owe an apology to Lou Dort because you've been a big Lou Dort guy oh, over the years. And I've always snickered and been like, all right, great. So you want somebody to go five of 17 and be overrated defensively. Awesome. Good luck with that. But number one, he's not overrated defensively and he's such a weapon for them uh, as the playoffs approach because he can match up with any number of perimeter guys. But number two, he's shooting better for the first couple months of the season not really sure I trust it, uh, but at the same time, I have to tip my cap to him because I wasn't sure he was ever going to be able to sort of play under control once the Thunder started to try to win. Um, but thus far this season, he has embraced his life as a role player. He's not taking 20 shots anymore, and he's hitting the shots that he's taking. So it's all working out beautifully down there. All part of the Thunder dream right now. Well, I love this song when you sing Sorry to Me. Better than Justin Bieber, <laughs> better than Beyonce. It's just my favorite song. No, I the three-point shooting thing, though, with Dort is not why I like him. And I, and I don't trust it. I do think that's going to regress back to the mean. There's just no way he's going to be this 42% three-point shooter. That's not who he is. However... OKC did steal a shooting coach from San Antonio uh, a couple mm, years ago. Good and point. You look up and down their roster right now. They have 10 guys. Not all of them are regular rotation players, but they have 10 guys shooting 40% or better on threes. Chet's at 41. Dort's at 42. Isaiah Joe at 42. Bertons, the one-trick pony, zero-trick pony, that is, uh, 43%. <laughs> Kaysen Wallace, 43%. Jalen Williams, 44%. Kenrick Williams, 46%. I mean, it's crazy, right? So. Yeah. That will not last. Like they, Their spacing is among the very best in the NBA. They generate tons and tons of wide open shots because Shea is so good at the drive and kick stuff and they're unselfish. They trust the pass around the perimeter. But if this sustains, they're like the greatest shooting team basically ever. <laughs> and I, it doesn't feel like they're that good. You know what I mean? So, right. uh, But they have enough guys who can hit the wide open shots that creates that space for the playmakers that you're talking about in the half court. So they're going to be a problem, like a big problem this year, but also going forward for the next three, four, five years. They deserve all of the attention, all of the accolades right now. All of their guys are you know, hard-headed competitors. You talked about Shea. I mean, Shea is just a monster competitor too. You know, and like it's, it gets lost because he's not in the big market, but this guy hits so many big shots. He wants the moment late in games. He's going mm-hmm. at anybody's neck. He's completely unafraid. Um, and Jalen Williams too. Like he shows it a little bit differently, but you know, this guy is out there trying to make a name for himself. So lots and lots to love. Uh, and I just, I think the good times are going to roll there. Like they're in such a nice spot. I don't really see the kind of pitfalls that we're talking about with some of these other teams like New Orleans. Like a lot of things kind of have to break right for that to work, right? Memphis, you know, one major incident and then boom, they're just terrible, right? Like, and Sacramento, you know, even them, it's like, well, they've sustained it pretty well here year two, but how long is their runway? And with OKC, 
it's like, well, I don't really know besides catastrophic injury what's going to keep this off track for like the next four or five years. Yeah, well, it's a great point with Chip England too because I, I totally forgot that they stole him from San Antonio. Divergent trajectories between the Spurs and the Thunder the last couple of years. Chip England joined the Thunder uh, before the 2022 season. and He bailed at the right moment. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He got off the Titanic. Um, I, well, Chip England, can I ask you? What's up? Like, if he, let's just hypothetical world, okay? You're an NBA owner, and let's just say that Chip England is the reason why mm-hmm. these like, guys are all shooting 42 to 48%. Like, he alone is the shot doctor. He has the secret sauce. He's not going to explain it to any other team. He will take Lou Dort, a horrible shooter, and just instantly transform him into a lights-out three-point shooter, completely changing like the geometry of your offense. Yep. How much are you willing to pay him per year, and is he worth more than LeBron? If he's guaranteeing you, no, I'm serious. If he's guaranteeing any player on your team can be like a four, and not even just any player, every player on your team practically, which is how it's going for OKC right now. If he can guarantee they're like 42% three-point shooters, what is that worth to you or to Steve Ballmer or to any of these other uh, tech entrepreneurs who Mm. are just flush with cash, right? Like what's his market value? I'm really glad you asked. This takes me back to Grantland era Sharp, which was around the time the Chip Anglin mystique was at its height. Uh, the Spurs won the 2014 title, obviously, or whatever year that was. And people were just in love with Chip Anglin. And I remember it was it was sort of like how people were like, well, why don't they just build the entire plane out of the black box? I would be like texting <laughs> with my Wizards friends being like, why don't we just spend all the money we would spend on a coach and maybe the back end of the roster and just give it to Chip England? Like, does he want $20 million a year? Just give it to him. And then obviously things sort of settled in San Antonio over the last five or six years. And um, the Chip England hype died down a little bit but now you look at the thunder shooting percentages and like wow all right maybe this guy is a magician and so I look at what the thunder are shooting right now and I go back to where we were with Brad Stevens like four or five years ago maybe you give him equity in the franchise give you know let chip wet his beak a little bit two or three percent of your team and and you might be set for years to come you don't need him to coach just get him in there get him in the practice facility and let the magic happen um i would say 10 15 million dollars a year and two or three percent equity that's what i'm giving chip anglin based on the first three months of this thunder season well, let's let's think even bigger. Let's take this to like a Sopranos era level. Why not Oklahoma City's taxpayers have just agreed to finance a new arena? Why don't we get Chip England to have his own construction company? He just funnel some contracts really his direction. Speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, just kind of get in on every possible level that you can. Um, no, it's pretty wild to think about. I do love this idea of him being like the secret weapon. Like, let's say. In a world, what what are the odds that OKC wins the title this year? Would you give them five percent? Uh, I would give them higher than that. I'd give them fifteen percent. Wow, you're, that's generous. I mean, I was willing to go maybe to ten, but let's okay, five to fifteen percent. If they win it, he should consider like a tell-all. You know what I mean? Like mm. at that point. I'm the guy. Yeah, I know you guys thought Shea was great, <laughs> but come on, like give me the love. Like he, that's going to be like 
you know, peak moment of his career, right? I, yeah. I, don't know. I just, he, he should be exploring all his options. He should be getting an agent. He should be lining up a construction company. Like this guy needs to really be thinking big here. I love it. That's what I want for Chip England. I, I don't want, because a lot of the like hoops guru people end up like starting their own YouTube channel. And um, Chip England needs to dream bigger, dream of corruption in Oklahoma City politics, uh, dream of an ownership stake if he goes to another team. Uh, the world is your oyster, Chip England, and Oklahoma City Thunder and Thunder fans. All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Goliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show. 